For more than two decades, we've been educating our listeners about financial topics that are most important to you. Do you have enough money to retire? How will you keep from running out of money? What's your plan for managing market risk? What about taxes, inflation, and health care? Each week, we talk with an advisor at Lucia Capital Group about these issues and more. This is Managing Your Financial Future. Managing your financial future, present, past. Can't do much about the past, uh, but uh, we can at least manage your present and your future. Johnny Dean, your podcast host here. Welcome back. Another episode here with my good friend, uh, Professor Rick Plum, CFP professional, certified financial planner, and the advisor portion of this uh, uh, particular group here with me. Uh, we're going to uh, have in, in the coming weeks, as I said before, we're going to have a few other folks on. Uh, I'm going to try to get Joe P. Lucia on. Yeah, president of the company. President of the company. He hasn't been on uh, yet this season, um, and it's been a little while since we talked to him, but I had some questions for him regarding portfolios and all that kind of stuff. So just, uh, just a little preview of what's to come. Now, last week... We did uh, uh, some email questions because it, it started off with some points that we had made on on previous shows, and and we just kind of ran down some emails. Well, this this <laughs> who are you kidding? It's summer. You didn't want to put together a show. <laughs> well, I had I had some topics, but these were so good. These were good. And what this did, and you're right. <laughs> I said I, I need to find some, but sometimes when you get topics from other people. Well, I know what they timely. want to talk about, and and it's on their minds. And a lot of times when we do a particular show, it it spurs questions in people's minds, and they ask us questions off the air. And I, I just don't think I we don't do these often enough. Well, the, the fact that we answered some of these questions last week this this gave a, a flurry of uh, emails over the past uh, seven days. So I'm gonna we're gonna do it again. Now, I don't want to do this every <laughs> single week, no, because we do have other topics that we want to cover. But I think from time to time, I do want to cover some of these emails. Okay. And and since we had talked uh, about 401ks, one of, the, one of the first questions they asked last week, I think it was uh, Mel in Arizona, asked about uh, 401ks versus IRAs. And, and this, uh, for whatever reason, spurred a bunch of other 401k questions. So I'm going to start these off with you, Professor Plum. And again, you haven't seen these. No, I have not. It's just the way we roll. I just throw <laughs> these questions at you. Let's right? see what I can do. I know it. Well, this is this, it's good. It, it it puts you to the test in some cases, but you're a pretty smart guy. But these are I'll, I'll run through some of these 401k questions, and if I have time, I'll try to get to some of the other shorter ones. If you emailed us a question, um, Professor Plum will do his best to answer them, but we cannot answer them all. Unfortunately, we just don't have time. But we'll do our best, and and some of these quicker ones we're going to do here. Um, Okay, uh, I'll start off with a sort of basic one from Aaron. Here we are in Florida. I, I tell you what, these questions come from Florida, Washington, California, and Nevada mostly. We have one from Georgia, too. Anyway, um, Aaron in Sarasota, Florida. My employee's ha handbook says the following about our 401k plan. 100% of deferrals, up to 4% of compensation, plus 50% of deferrals on 4 to 6% of compensation. Can you help me understand what this means? Sure. So That's, They're talking about the matching contribution. Yeah. So basically, if you put in money, they're going to put in money as well. So if you put in anywhere from 0 to 4%, whatever dollar amount that equates to. Of your salary. Of your salary, salary, they will put in a dollar for every dollar you put in. So let's so say. If you make 100 grand. Yeah, let's do that. You put in $4,000. They put in four thousand dollars as a matching contribution because in this case it says one hundred percent of deferrals up to four percent of compensation. Right, and then they're also going to do another fifty percent of deferrals 
on the amount between 4% and 6%. 6% yeah. yeah. So if you put in $6,000, you're going to get matched 100% on the first four and 50% on the next 2%. So 50% of 2% is 1%. So you put in $6,000 of this, 6% of your pay, mm-hmm. they put in $5,000, 5% of your pay. Yeah, so they put in 4000 for the first four thousand that you put in, and two thousand or one thousand for the next two thousand you put in. Yeah, because it's 50%. so if you do more than the six percent, you're not getting any match on it. Doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Hmm. You probably should, but you definitely, they're willing to pay you an additional five percent of your pay if you take six percent of your pay and put it into the four hundred one k. You know, it's, you are always one hundred percent vested in that six percent you put in. So it's it's basically taking money out of your left pocket and putting it into your right pocket. It is still your money. When you leave the company, you're going to take 100% of your contribution. And there's a vesting schedule to the company money. But usually after a couple of years, that's your money to take with you as well. Now, of course, if you take it all out, you have to pay taxes on it. And if you're under 59 and a half or some other exclusions, uh, it's going to be penalized as well. But it's still part of your pay package. They're willing to give you a 5% kicker if you put... 6% of your money off to the side. Do well, it. Just think about this. And I still see stats that say, you know, how many people participate in a 401k plan. It's more now than it used to be. But for those that have a match, I mean, if you are able to save, let's say they put in 100% of the, well, let's say those, common is what, 50%? Uh, well, I, I, a fairly common one that I've seen out there is 50% up to 6%. 6%. All right. 50% so, up to 8 50% okay. up to 5 something like Let, that. Let's say it's 50%. Yeah. All right. And if you're able to save $6,000 a year, they're giving you a $3,000 bonus. That's a $100,000 pay, though. Okay. Yes. I, that's what I'm saying. It, it's Okay. Just to make the math the yeah. math easy. But yes. Um, who would turn that down? Well, some people believe that they are, well, they are, not that they believe, they are living paycheck to paycheck. And it's, they don't believe they can afford to save. Which and, I, I understand. And I understand that. Oh, yeah. trust me, I've been there. Absolutely. Uh, I would say, okay, don't start with 6%. Start with 1%. Start with 2%. The reality is you're probably not going to notice it much, if anything, when you actually get your paycheck. You know, that 1% difference. The, so if you made if you made forty grand, let's say, right? So you're putting what four hundred out four hundred dollars a year away. Mm-hmm. Start with that. I mean, that's what uh, about thirty thirty three dollars and thirty three cents a month. A, uh, yeah, a month, which might be fifteen bucks a paycheck if you're paid twice a month. Yeah. yeah, or even less if you're paid weekly or whatever. So yes, it it might feel like you can't do it, but start with a small number. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's come out recently with Secure Act two point and some of the other acts that are very is auto enrollment, which I think is wonderful, and auto escalation. So you start at 3% of your pay, or you can opt down to 1% or 2%. Mm-hmm. Or opt out. Yeah, or opt out, but try not to do that. Mm-hmm. Do something, and then escalate at 1% each year, each quarter, each you know some set time. Mm-hmm. You'll get used to it, and then before you know it, you'll be up to that 6% mark getting your full salary. Because to me, it is part of my pay package. It's... They're willing to pay me this. They're willing to give me this money. Yeah, I have to do something, but I have to do something for all of my pay. I mean, they're not paying me for not doing anything. I mean. <laughs> um, all right. Anyway, so so that's that's the answer for Aaron, and it's it's a good lesson in saving. Too. But it's 
that it's a way to get your discipline started. Yeah, yeah. And I, the idea, even if you can start at 6% or higher and you're not at the 22,500 limit yet, increase it by 1% every open enrollment. You really are not going to notice that 1% very much. Yeah, that's true. And, and the more you, and the earlier you can start this, the more you save, the more you can save, the more flexibility you have in your financial life. The, it, the, it just works out better for you. I, I needed that advice at age 23 when I told him, nah, 401k, what is that? I don't know. It was I a, didn't have a 401k until I was about 40-something. They offered one. This was, would have been about 1986 or so. I didn't know what it was. What do you mean? Less in my less money? I, no, I don't <laughs> want to do that. But it would have been good advice. Uh, let's see if I can do this uh, question from Heidi in Livermore, California. I don't want to get these too complicated, so tell me if it is. Uh, below is the explanation of the company's 401k match that I received from our head of HR, but I don't know what she means. Can you explain using numbers? All right, now just tell me if this works for you. The 401k match is 75 cents on the dollar. That's a nice match. Yeah, it is. The company contributes 3% up front with an 11% contribution cap. Huh? At, I don't know. At this level, you can contribute up to 5%. I, I, I Those numbers know. don't match up. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. A 3% up front, that means that's not a match. It's a bonus of some kind. And a 5% top, well, that means that they would only get a 3.25% or something like that. Yeah. Do the math quick enough. All right. So I don't know where the 11 number comes in. Okay. Well, now, now there are different ways for companies to put money into the 401k on your behalf. One that gets talked about the most is the match because that requires you to do something. But some companies will just put money in to your 401k. Regardless or, of whether you do Whether it? you do or don't. So there is a, a an automatic contribution and potentially a matching contribution. So the 401k is also you know, a subset of a bigger type of retirement plan called a profit sharing plan where the company can just share its profits by putting it into your plan up to 25% of your pay. And, but most companies don't want to put that much in. They just want you to save. And so they use the match to incentivize you to save. And there's other reasons for that. They don't do that out of the goodness of their heart. They do it so that they can put money in for themselves too. Um, and they're limited by what you put in as a rank and file employee. Yeah. So they got to get you to put money in so they can take advantage of it. Anyway, uh, it's a good rule, but some companies do use uh, just flat out contributions that have nothing to do with you yeah. putting money in. So maybe there's in this one, there's a 3% upfront that they do regardless. There's a 75% match on the first 5% of your pay. So I don't know. And there's an I, 11% total yeah. that they'll put well, in which doesn't work out to the numbers they gave. Okay, well, I, I, Heidi, it's, it's, we're Sorry, not Heidi, sure. I need more. Yeah, we're, we're not sure about that, and I don't want to make this too complicated for folks listening. Uh, Are you sure about that, Match? <laughs> Are you sure about that 5, 5%? Are you sure about that 5%? <laughs> we got to have at least one movie reference every single, every, every single program. That's, that's, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, I do one more 401k question. Well, today's kind of a 401k day. Yeah, let's see. Uh, find one that's not too long. Okay. Maybe you should have read them before we went on the air. Well, no, I just grabbed these here. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to read this one. This is going to be too much. Too complicated. Yeah, yeah. Maybe too narrowly it focused seemed, as well. Well, it did. It seemed... I did read it beforehand. At first blush, it was... Yeah, but I don't know if these numbers are correct either. Uh, all right. All right. Let's, let's move on. Uh, let's see. 
Uh, oh, okay. So the other thing we talked about in the last show, we talked about the five hundred thousand um, dollar primary residence, primary residence exclusion? exclusion. Correct. Well, we got some more questions on that. <laughs> Definitely not four hundred one k related, but no, okay. it's not. No, no. That, that's why I was going to turn the page on the four hundred one ks because they each four hundred one k question seems to be very specific and have to do with you know percentages and all that. Okay, Sarah in Henderson, Nevada. Eighteen months ago, I sold my primary residence at a loss. Interesting. Sorry. I'm now planning on selling my current primary residence that I have owned for 11 years, with the exception of 18 months, and I'm going to sell it at a significant gain, approximately $500,000. Can my spouse and I take advantage of the full capital gains exemption? Well, potentially, yes, but it depends on where you've been living. Have you lived in this current property for... 24 of the last 60 months as your primary residence. But there was some other things going on in here. I'm I'm guessing that, well, they they had a primary residence they sold 18 months ago at a loss. But they must but not they, have owned it for very long. No, I would imagine not. And the selling that at a loss does not take them out of the running to be able to take the 500000 exclusion I think now. that's Sarah's question. No, selling it a lot, you can only use the exemption. Once in a 24-month period of time, if you sell two residences and try to use the exemption twice. But if you didn't use it. You sold it at a loss, so you're not trying to use exemption. Now the question is, do you qualify for the exemption? Have you lived in this property? You said it was your primary residence for 18 years with the exception of 18 months. Well, you sold the other property 18 months ago. How long did you live in it? Yeah. Have you lived in this one long enough? And what did you do with this one while you were not living in it? Were you renting it out? Because that screws things up. Because if you lived in the other property for five years, you know, and then you moved out of it, sold it at a loss for, I don't know how you do that, but, and then moved into this one for 18 months, at this point, you don't qualify for the 500 exclusion because you have not lived in it for 24 of the last 60 months. But even when you get to the five-year mark, you know, or excuse me, the 24-month mark, now you have a property that you are claiming as a primary residence that was not your primary residence in all of the months since 2008. And so you have to then potentially prorate, prorate the gain over how many months was it not your primary residence divided by the total number of months you've owned it. And unfortunately, you got to go back to the first one and say, how many months was it not my primary residence since 2008 divided by the total num- number of months I've owned it regardless of when I bought it. Uh, so we could go back into the 70s if you wanted to, if you owned it that long. So it gets really complicated in that, but you have to be able to be able to be eligible. Have you lived in it as your primary residence for 24 of the past 60 months? And if you were selling the last one potentially as a primary residence and owned it for 24 months, you don't, you haven't lived in this one long enough. I mean, yeah, I guess there might be a, if you had six months before 24 months in 18, there might be a way that you could, if you only lived in the other one for a short period of time, well, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but but no, the, uh, selling at a loss, a property does not take okay. you out of the running. It just comes down to ownership and use time. Uh, we talked about. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, now, Pat in Chandler, Arizona, heard us talking about the um, uh, reestablishing a basis or on, setting a new basis. Uh, yeah, we, on, we were talking on, about on the death of an owner. I guess. Yeah, we were talking about uh, the people call it the step up in tax basis. It's actually a resetting of the tax basis because right. if I bought a stock, you know, at three hundred bucks a share, and unfortunately, 
uh, my stock picking prowess may not have been the greatest and I die a couple years later and it's only 200 bucks a share. Well, the new basis is 200 bucks a share for my heirs. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, it's a resetting of the basis. It's a step up. It's just a negative step up. Yeah. It's a resetting of the basis. Uh, Pat says, my wife will be inheriting her mother's home next month. She owned it free and clear. Do we need to do an appraisal to establish a basis? That's exactly the thing we said last week. Uh, we don't know whether we'll rent it out or buy it. Uh, buy it? They're inheriting it. Well, I, so, I don't know why he said that. but Maybe they have siblings that or they have to buy out siblings that are also inheriting it. Uh, that may be, that's actually maybe true. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, I would, if I'm looking to buy out siblings, yeah, I want to, unless we can all agree on a price, uh, I want to, um, I want an appraisal on it. If I'm going to rent it out, I definitely want an appraisal on it because I want a new basis because let's say, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want the original basis, uh, going forward because I, a, I want to reset the basis for future capital gains appreciation issues, but I also want to reset the basis for uh, future depreciation, which is a tax issue, current tax issue, mm-hmm. so that when I rent it out, I can offset uh, some or all of the income that I'm receiving from it and not have to pay taxes on it now. So if I'm renting it out, I definitely want to get an appraisal so that I can have the new basis uh, done for tax purposes. Uh, if I'm just going to sell it, if mom died two, three months ago, I'm selling it now, I'm not too worried about the appraisal because the market won't have changed that much in that period of time. Mm-hmm. And we'll just, there won't be any gain because the basis is the, that's the, that's the value of the house, the sale price, because it's happening basically so quickly. But if I'm looking to buy out my siblings and we're not agreeing on a price, I, I, that doing an appraisal may be a way to, you know, maybe quell the family squabbling. Tell you, inheriting a home. I mean, man, it's that can be a that 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 can be a chore. I mean, I I would think, and we we've said before that if if uh, if you have a home and you have multiple kids that are going to inherit it, wouldn't it be better to sell it, if possible, and then well, but I mean, if there's a lot of factors go into play here, it may be that one of the kids really needs a place to stay, and this is the only way they're going to be able to afford a home, at least where they they have two siblings and they're. Basically, they're only paying two thirds of the price of the house, you know, because of this. Yeah. Uh, um, it may be that one of the one of the kids was living with you during the time you were older and taking care of you. And yeah, I, I guess mean, there's a knows? lot of That's factors true. involved in That's this. That's true. Uh, let's see. Speaking of inheriting, let's f- uh, flip over to annuities. Leo in Sun City, Arizona. <laughs> My wife is going to inherit an annuity probably sometime in the next few years. We're retired. She's 63. I'm 64. Can the annuity be put in an existing Roth IRA? No. 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 <laughs> That's a quick one. Unless it's already in a Roth IRA, which you don't see all that often. No. Only Roth money that I inherit can I put into a beneficiary Roth for my benefit. But if it's, an annuity is a tax-deferred contract, but it is not an IRA. It's not a Roth IRA, and it cannot transfer directly to a Roth IRA. So it's it's tax deferred. There are ways to stretch out the payments, mm-hmm. so you don't have to pay tax all at once. Uh, we talked about a resetting of the basis when somebody dies uh, on a capital asset like a piece of real estate or a stock. An annuity is in this respect semantic, not a capital asset. It's a tax deferred contract 
it does not get a new basis when somebody die when the owner or annuitant dies. Well, you will somebody will pay tax on the deferred amounts of gain in that contract someday. Well, and uh, James in Mesquite, Nevada, has a question which you have at least partially, if not more, answered. If I buy an annuity with post-tax money, is the money I receive from it tax-free or is there a tax liability? Well, when you when you put money, let's say you put $100,000 into a personal, non-qualified, what they call it, uh, tax-deferred annuity. There's the first key. Deferred, not free. <laughs> I put in 100000 and over the years it grows to $150,000. If I want to take money out of that contract, the first money coming out will be the deferred gains. So if I take 10000 out, it's coming from that deferred 50000 again. It's 100% taxable. If I take 60000 out, that means the whole 50 of deferred gain is coming out and then 10000 of my after-tax money. So I'll be taxed on that 50 that comes of the 60 that comes out. So the, the tax is going to be paid on the distributions. It's a, fi- a LIFO tax treatment, last in, first out gains coming out first. Yeah. Um, and that's been that way since well, 80, 82, I think it was. They changed the rules. Uh, was it FIFO before that? Yes. Okay. And if you have a contract that was Maybe in existence since 1982, you still get that. But there aren't that many of those left. Well, that's <laughs> been 40-something years. <laughs> 41 years. I mean. Yeah. So um, well. the if you wanted to stretch out the tax payment, you could do what they call annuitize the contract, where you basically take that hypothetical $150,000 of cash value, trade it in for a guaranteed stream of payments. You give it up, basically. Yeah, you, you, yeah. you have no, no claims, no to, claims to the 150000 anymore, and they give you a payment of X amount of dollars based on how old you are. It will continue. You can do it over multiple different types of it. Most commonly, it's going to be life. So they're going to pay you for the rest of your life, regardless of how long you live. Yeah. You know, and uh, each payment, will be a pro rata portion of earnings and principal coming back to you. So that could potentially lower a tax bill, right. so, at least initially. Yeah. Okay. Do um, you want one more annuity question here? <laughs> sure, why not? Okay. Terry, I told you we got a lot of questions. Well, and annuities, they sound like, I mean, you get the people that say never buy an annuity. Some people say always buy annuities. And you, they get a lot of, there's a lot of misinformation about them because there, there's a lot of different types of annuities and there's there's moving parts that some Sometimes just don't seem to make sense. And well, sure. The, the taxability of the annuity sometimes is like, huh? <laughs> well, it is. Now, this isn't necessarily a, uh, this isn't really a tax on the annuity oh, question. Okay. But this one, um, Terry in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm 67, married, retiring in about two years. My wife is on disability. An advisor here recommend I put all of my money in a joint life income fixed index annuity with an income writer and a bonus of five and a half percent 20 year period certain that's those don't go together i heard you say that in certain instances annuities make sense would this be good for me well the there's a lot of misinformation on this one because if he's talking about a fixed index annuity with a guaranteed income writer that is one thing but the a 20 year term certain is another is a completely different thing. So th- those those are both valid annuity statements, but, but they they're all together. they're basically mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. You can't have one and the other in the same situation. What they're doing with the first one, a fixed index annuity with a guaranteed minimum income rider, is they're saying you're gonna have a deferred annuity that is based on you know the fixed in- index chassis. 
but we're going to guarantee that you can take out a certain level of income for the rest of your life. Now, for the first X number of years, it's going to be coming out of your cash value. You still have access to the cash value. Unlike the immediate annuity right. I talked about before, where you give up access to the cash value, you still have access to the cash value. It's still earning something in the years that the index is positive. But for the first several years, you're using your own principle that you put in plus whatever it's earned. If that cash value ever goes to zero, we're going to continue making the payment to you for the rest of your life, not 20 years, not 10 years. For as long as you and or your spouse live, we will continue to make this payment, even if there's no cash in this contract. So live a long time and it's be coming happy. out of our pocket. At, at that, that point. point, it's coming out of the insurance, the insurance company's company. pocket. And that one, because it's a fixed index annuity, deferred annuity chassis, the taxation is for, uh, for last in, first out. The 20 year certain is a form of payment from an immediate annuity, one where you have no access to the cash value, one where the cash value doesn't exist to you anymore. It's not invested in anything you can see. You can't just call up and say, oh, I, I give up my income rider, give me the remaining cash. There is no cash. And so it's an immediate annuity payout. You'll either see it as a 20 year term certain, which says, we're going to make this payment for the insurance company saying, I'm going to make this payment for 20 years to somebody come heck or high water, whether it's to you or your beneficiaries, we're going to make it for 20 years, 20 year term certain guaranteed. Yeah. Or it can be something they call life with 20 year term certain, meaning we'll pay it for the rest of your life. But if, if you're, but if you die before 20 years, we will continue the payment for the balance of 20 years to your heir. And then it stops. After and that. then it stops after that. Yeah. So th there, there are terms. Both of them are annuity terms. Okay. But they are mutually exclusive. So it sounds like Terry either didn't understand what was being pitched to him or. Uh, and so the question was, of should you have a guaranteed income annuity, whether it's a, a single premium index or, 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 or the index No matter annuity, which way it goes. Regardless, should you have a guaranteed income contract of some form? And that comes down to your spending. What are you spending and how is your spending structured? You, you might need $6,000 a month. But reality is three of it is fixed, hard, cold expenses that I have to have. You know, that's not traveling. That's that's gas, electric, rent, mortgage, property tax, whatever the case may be. Those are expenses that have to be paid every year. And then the other 3000 is life. You know, that's my traveling, seeing the grandkids, doing whatever it is you're going to be wanting to do in retirement. I don't know how your budget fix that, but there are fixed essential expenses that you have to make basic food and, you know, uh, insurances that would be included in that, uh, you know, gas and electric, things of that nature, insurances. Those are the things that are essential payments. You know, traveling is maybe not so essential that that can vary. So you look at, do I have enough cash flow coming over the doorstep every month from guaranteed sources? And I'm going to include social security as a guaranteed source here, mm -hmm. social security, pensions. And if you don't have enough of those, guaranteed income from annuities to cover my essential expenses. If I've got enough income from my social security and a pension to cover my essential expenses, I don't need a guaranteed annuity. I don't need a guaranteed income annuity. There's no reason to pay the money for one because it, you don't need it. On the other hand, if I need 3000 a month essential spending and I've got 2000 a month in social security, I probably want to look for a, 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 a contract that guarantees me another $1,000 a month in a guaranteed income so that my $3,000 of Social Security and, and annuity match my essential expenses. When we're planning and doing looking at planning, that helps out a, a retiree 
from an emotional standpoint. And the reality is it actually helps them out from a, a standpoint of being a rational investor for the rest of their portfolio. Because if they know they've got their essential expenses met, regardless, if the market goes down, they're not as worried as if they were trying to get their essential expenses being paid for out of your portfolio. Yep. And you tend to be less emotional about that downturn. You tend to stay invested longer. These are what all the papers have shown and what I've experienced in watching what people do. You just don't get as emotional. You don't. The worst thing you can do is panic in a downturn and pull out because by about the time you're getting ready to pull out of the market is about the time it's getting ready to turn around and come back up. Which is why you shouldn't need that money. But that's why you do the guaranteed income sources. And if you don't have enough. Now, not everybody should have a guaranteed income annuity. There are people that have enough Social Security and or pensions where they've got their basics covered. On the other hand, there are people that should consider one because they don't have enough guaranteed income to cover their essential expenses. Or maybe they're just the type that likes guarantees. Yeah. I mean, but you are paying is you're, for it. You're paying for it. Yeah, you're paying for it in either uh, reduced returns or actual fees uh, or a combination of both <laughs> yeah, in, some cases, in, uh, yeah. in the contracts. Yeah. And it's not to say that they're good or bad. They are tools uh -huh. and there is value to that certainty of that income. Now, obviously, the guarantee is only as good as the insurance company that's offering the guarantee. So make sure you, if you are buying one of these things, you stick with a good quality insurance company. Yeah, they say it's 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 based on the claims paying ability. <laughs> and the, you're not going to be testing company. those claims paying ability for hopefully 20 or 30 years because hopefully there'll be cash, like in that first one I talked about where you yeah. still have access to the cash. The, you know, your, the insurance company is not actually making you a payment other than your own money for the first X number of years. Um, so you've got, but yeah, you've got to, you got to understand what you're buying and why you're buying it. Uh, in every case, whether it's an annuity or whether it's uh, even you know treasury bonds or I was talking, corporate bonds. I was talking with another advisor who I think is one of the greatest advisors that I know out there. Uh, I think he's been on the show once or twice. Okay. Deep Southern Tennessee accent. Um, and we were talking about this exact thing yesterday. And there is a very prominent uh, finan financial planning expert that puts you through a series of questions and this methodology is, is really good. I like the questions. I like the, the, the way he words things and puts things together. And then he, what he's trying to find out is what kind of an investor or retirement investor do you need to be? Are you more of a portfolio uh, person that accepts the risk of the up and down and can take the difference in variation of a portfolio and the difference in income? Or should you be more of a bucket style of an investor? Or should you have uh, more of guaranteed income? And I love all that up until he gets to the very end. And then, unfortunately, what I found was that in every case, he was, there was a recommendation for a guaranteed income. You and, mean it just coincidentally? Yeah. And his methodology, every yeah. in his mind, in their mind, there was a couple of people that wrote the, uh, the, the articles, everybody should have more guaranteed income. This is not the person that you were just no, referring this is, to. He and yeah. I were talking about this article. Yes, I want to be clear yeah. about this. Yeah. And, and yeah. the person I was talking about knows more about insurance products than anybody. I mean, the guy is genius, but, um, we were, we were going over this and saying, you know, ev everything they were doing up to that point, but the, the outcome to me kind of tainted the, the whole process because there was almost like a predetermined outcome. Sure. I, I don't yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but it comes back to what you were talking about. Some people just like the idea of guaranteed income. And it, if that is what makes you feel comfortable and in, in retirement, and that makes you sleep better at night, then 
yeah, okay, fine. That's okay. I don't think you need it, but that what I think about what you need and what you think you need, you're going to win in that argument because it's your needs and your money. Well, it is. <laughs> and and it's uh, you know, if you don't mind whatever it costs, a fee or right. lack of rate of return, whatever it is, if that doesn't bother you, if that's worth the cost. And I have met yeah. people uh that they don't, they don't they're not worried about the growth necessarily. They would like to get growth, but on the other side, their primary, secondary, and third and fourth concern is, I never want to see a negative number on my statements. Yeah, we've seen that before, too. And so, yeah. okay, well. That's part of planning, though. I mean, it's got to come down to what your goals are and are yeah. you, what you're willing to do to achieve them. And even though you've got this money over here, that at the rate you're spending and the rate you expect, to, you know, more than you expect to spend, you're never going to touch this money. You have 20 years for this money. I don't care. I don't want to see a negative number. Well, there you go. And, and, that, and that's what's right for them. And Chris Lloyd says thanks for the compliment, by the way. <laughs> what can I say? The guy is good. Uh, I agree. Uh, uh, we're out of time. Okay. All right. And anyway, uh, thank you for these emails. Again, I apologize. I, I know a lot of folks emailed after we did this last week, and we may get some more this week. We will try to answer some. We just cannot possibly answer them all. Um, but uh, if you want some more information on any, any of this stuff, you could talk to the advisors at Lucia Capital Group, uh, 800-644-1150, 800-644-1150, or you can go to luciacap.com, L-U-C-I-A-C-A-P.com. Find your answers there. Uh, find the videos and the downloadable PDFs, brochures. It's all there at luciacap.com. Uh, we will have more topics next week. I would like to try to do this maybe once per uh, season where we just take some of these emails. Hopefully we have enough information and uh, uh, from what you can give us, give us the information you need. And if it's, if they're short enough and, and simple enough uh, for people to understand, we will do them on the show, but you can email us at luciacap.com. I, I, I should have mentioned this before too. subscribe to our podcast. You can do so at Spotify. You can do so at iTunes. Listen to all the uh, episodes. We're 140 some odd in already, and uh, we got many, many more to come, especially for this season. So be on the lookout for that. Out of time. Professor Plum, thank you again. You're welcome. I know I, I said it's going to spring these questions on you, and I did. That's fine. That's what we do. <laughs> it's just like it was just like being on live radio all those years ago. You know, <laughs> yeah, we only did that for about we 25 get, years. <laughs> that's all we did it for. We get questions on the phone, and we don't know what this person's going to be asking. Anyway, uh, for Professor Rick Plum, CFP professional, I'm your podcast host, Johnny Dean. Managing your financial future. Thanks for listening. Talk to you again next week. The information provided should not be considered specific tax, legal, or investment advice and is not specific to any individual's personal circumstances. Each taxpayer should seek independent advice from a tax professional based on his or her individual circumstances. Different types of investments and or investment strategies involve varying levels of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment or investment strategy will be profitable for a client's or prospective client's portfolio. Thus, investments may result in a loss of principal. Accordingly, no client or prospective client should assume that the information presented serves as the receipt of or a substitute for personalized advice from Lucia Capital Group or from any any other investment professional. You should always seek counsel of the appropriate advisor prior to making any investment decision. All investments are subject to risk, including the loss of principal. This material was gathered from sources believed to be reliable. However, its accuracy cannot be guaranteed. This material should not be considered a solicitation of an offer to sell or buy any specific security or offering. Investors should consult a financial professional to determine whether risks associated with an investment in the shares are compatible with their investment objectives. Examples cited or hypothetical are for illustrative purposes only, are not guaranteed and subject to potential federal and state law amendments. There is no guarantee that you will achieve the results discussed or 
or illustrated. IRA withdrawals will be taxed at ordinary income rates. Withdrawals prior to age 59 and a half may also be subject to a 10% penalty tax. Roth IRA distributions of principal from a Roth IRA are tax-free. However, any earnings will be taxed at ordinary income rates, and a 10% penalty tax will apply if withdrawn prior to age 59 and a half or within five years of the date the Roth IRA was established, whichever is longer. Annuities are long-term investment products designed for retirement purposes. Guarantees are based on the claims-paying ability of the issuer subject to their terms and conditions. Early withdrawals may be subject to surrender penalties, and if taken prior to age 59 and a half, may be subject to an additional 10% federal tax. Annuities are not FDIC insured. Certain terms and conditions apply, so please read insurance company materials carefully. Fixed index annuities are complex long-term investments designed for retirement purposes. Guarantees are based on the claims paying ability of the issuer subject to their terms and conditions. Generally, returns are based on a market index and are limited such that an investor does not fully participate in market performance. Withdrawals may be subject to surrender penalties or foregoing benefits if withdrawn prior to the contract term. Investors should speak with a financial professional about the contract's features, benefits, risks, and fees, and whether the contract is appropriate for the investor based upon his or her financial situation and objectives. Withdrawals prior to age 59 and a half may be subject to a 10% penalty tax in addition to income tax. Annuities are not FDIC insured. Certain terms and conditions apply, so please read insurance company materials carefully. Before investing, carefully consider a variable annuity's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. To obtain a prospectus or summary prospectus, which contains this and other information, call your financial advisor. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Variable annuities with guarantees are available through optional riders at additional cost. It is important to keep in mind that investments in fixed income products are subject to liquidity risk, interest rate risk, financial risk, inflation risk, and special tax liabilities. Interest may be subject to the alternative minimum tax. Treasury securities are backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government but are subject to inflation risk. Rick Plum, Joe P. Lucia, and Chris Lloyd are registered representatives with and securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. The investment professionals are affiliated with LPL Financial and are conducting business using the name Lucia Capital Group, a separate entity from LPL Financial.